we have to make decisions on how we want work-life balance to be, even though I think that term is bullshit. Yeah. We, I, we've got to decide how we want things to be because healthcare in general, but also our labor system is not working how it has been working because we're all burnt out. And I think COVID showed us all that. Yeah. You know, how many of us like enjoy a nice little 2 p.m. siesta every once in a while that you can't really get on the 15th floor of a office building. I mean, I did find a place for it, but it's not as nice as my bed. <laughs> we, we started happy hours in our neighborhood um, during COVID. For a long time, Thursdays, we did driveway happy hours at four o'clock or something. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot harder to do when people are actually going into the office, but it was a lifesaver. We, you know, I made best friends with our neighbors now and, you know, we knew them all before, but not like we do now. And all the kids ran around outside playing hide and seek in the front yards. Um, Welcome to Informatics in the Round, a podcast designed to help everyone become a part of the dialogue about topics in biomedical informatics. I'm Kevin Johnson, Physician and Informatics Chair at Vanderbilt, at kbjohnsonmd on Twitter, www.kevinbjohnsonmd.net on the web. This episode is a bit of a departure from our norm. I set up this team with the intention of discussing physician burnout from electronic health records and what we are going to do to improve it. It happened to be, as it turns out, our first all-female team, though, plus me. In the wake of our post-pandemic attempts to return to normalcy, and frankly with the understanding of a lot of conversations I've heard from my colleagues over the last few weeks, I realized we had an opportunity to cover some ground here that might be of interest to professionals in academic environments that are far-reaching and dealing with remote work and pressures to return to work. So we made the pivot. We'll be discussing the original topic next month. I was joined on this episode by Dr. Allison McCoy, an assistant professor of biomedical informatics at Vanderbilt, and by a regular on this podcast, Sarah Bland, also known as Potty Mouth, who has a lot to say, as you heard in the introduction and is especially interested in this particular topic for a variety of reasons she'll disclose. We are thrilled to introduce you to Dr. Susie Brown Sachs. Dr. Sachs has an incredibly unique story, frankly, very well covered in the national news that is highly relevant to both topics. I'm not giving anything away though, you'll have to listen to the episode. If you're a regular, you might have a sense of what makes her a unique doctor. Let's see if you're right. Anyway, hope you enjoy it, and I hope it resonates with a bunch of you. I'm going to start off, though, because it's always important to do this. Sarah, you did the joke last time. So, Allison, do you have a joke? You know, you asked me this when you interviewed me in 2005. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you the exact same joke, because I haven't come up with a better one. Okay, go for it. It's not really like a question one, but I told you there are 10 kinds of people in this world. There's who understand binary and there's who don't. Yes, I know. <laughs> I remember this joke. That, and I haven't come up with a better one in the last <laughs> 15 years. All right. <laughs> I should have known better. Well, you know what's what it is. Okay, why don't we go ahead and get started? 
So welcome to Informatics in the Round. I think everybody who's listening knows all about it, so I won't say much of a preamble. I'm Kevin Johnson. I am your host and moderator, and today I promise, I hope I don't get anything thrown at me for the questions I'm going to ask, so you guys be nice to me. My name is Sarah Bland. I am a Senior Project Manager in the Center for Precision Medicine and DBMI at Vanderbilt, and I focus projects on um, entering healthcare data, especially genetic information, into the EHR. That didn't sound funny at all. Anyway. I got serious. <laughs> I know, that's pretty amazing. I am Allison McCoy. I'm an assistant professor of biomedical informatics, and my research um, is with the Vanderbilt Clinical Informatics Center on clinical decision support and other exciting topics. My name is Susie Brown, um, Susie Brown Sachs, and I'm a cardiologist at Vanderbilt who specializes in advanced heart failure and heart transplantation. Oh. So Susie, you said you're Susie Brown and you're Susie Brown Sachs. As a cardiologist, which name do you use? Um, Susie Brown Sachs. There yeah. it is, all of that. So your patients call you Dr. Brown Sachs or Dr. Sachs? Dr. Sachs, yeah. So I bring that up because we actually had two different potential topics for today. One of our topic ideas was going to be to really unpack a lot of the work that Allison does to improve clinical decision support, which are the clicks that you experience every day, Susie. Right. And, and I think we need to talk about that. But as I was looking at the lineup, and I happen to know the backstory, or if you will, the front story for each of you, and I recognize some of the concessions you make to be on shows like this, I thought we ought to confront that first. I, I felt like it was just begging for us to get into a conversation that's not so much about informatics, but is a lot about health and science. And while there are a lot of ways to do it, I thought it would be interesting because of the varied careers here for us to just unpack a little bit of what that's about, if you guys are okay with it. Yep. So to start that, I'm going to go back up to Sarah. So Sarah, when you're not playing that incredibly serious, boring job role that you talked about, um, <laughs> what, what do you do in life? And what have you done in life? And oh, I see you the know, guitar behind you. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I have a guitar behind me. So um, I started out in life as a music minister um, and was really conservative uh, in a fundamentalist church of about a thousand outside of Charlotte, North Carolina left that, became a raging liberal atheist lesbian, and um, now I'm in healthcare, so, you know, <laughs> super crunchy. Um, I uh, also, in the past year, um, went from being my wife and I with three dogs and a cat to having a kid in the house that we have taken in post-COVID, post-mom drug overdose, and we are in the process of adopting um, so we went from being a small petting zoo to a petting zoo plus a kid. Um, so we uh, have had a huge life change in the past uh, eight months um, and did a lot of work uh, trying to help with um, the data about COVID at Vanderbilt too. So it's been a, it's a, been a crazy uh, couple wow. of years for us. That's, that's an amazing amount of transition. So I'm looking forward yeah. to us unpacking that and some questions. Allison, what about you? I know a little bit about your other story. Would you share some of that? Yes, I am um, wife to a physician and mother of a seven-year-old daughter who is academically gifted and a competitive gymnast, so she keeps me very, very busy. Um, a lot of times she's smarter than me, which is hard, and um, also mother to a five-year-old boy um, 
who was born with a complex congenital heart defect, and he is, today is five weeks post-op from his spontane surgery. Yay! Yes, we just we just came back from the cardiologist, and he's doing great. We're weaning diuretics. We got rid of a midday dose. I'm super excited. And and for those of us who've had to be on a lot of Zoom calls with Allison over the last year. <laughs> It's been an opportunity to get to meet the kids because the kids are there and there's not a lot you can do about it. I so get lots of fun emails and messages about my kids when they're present. It's been fun. Yeah, I'm sure it has. <laughs> so Susie, what about you? I, I guess in your case, we might call it a front story and yours is probably the one that's most nationally visible. So please do share. Yeah, so in addition to being a cardiologist, I'm a professional singer-songwriter, which I started doing outside of my house um, at the end of my cardiology fellowship, I had a sort of like change of heart, so to speak, wow. a little yeah. schizophrenic break. And I just realized that music made me happier than pretty much any other thing I'd ever done. And I just had to make more time for it. So I work at Vanderbilt halftime. I have a two week on two week off schedule. And then the rest of the time I spend with my music and with my husband and two girls who are five and a half and seven. Oh my gosh. So that's actually like three careers. Mm -hmm. Wow, geez. <laughs> Pretty much, yep. Yeah. So are you touring? Hey, I'm a, a part-time physician, part-time musician, and full-time mom. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you tour also? I do. I mean, not in the last year, of course, year and a half. Right. Um, but I've continued to tour a lot less after I had kids than before. But my husband is also a musician. So we tour together. <laughs> And um, and we take the kids. Wow, glutton for punishment. Oh, I am. I I mean, I've toured. I toured when my oldest daughter, you know, when I was still nursing, several times. Like we would basically drive a half hour to forty five minutes if we were lucky before we had to stop and either nurse or change a diaper. But we just made it work. I've pumped. Oh, you have no idea the places I've pumped. Um, <laughs> That sounds like a hook that only you could write. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, the places I've pumped. Um, <laughs> I planned this tour and then didn't realize I was going to be pregnant at the time with my second daughter. And I was like, we left when I was maybe eight, well, six or eight weeks. Oh, I was so sick. And my other daughter was just like one. So I was like sick and I, my nausea was worse when I was um, at night. So it was like right when I had to sing. <laughs> that was a tough tour. Yes. I mean. Susie, is there a song you feel comfortable playing on here? And yeah, but tell us about the song. Um, so COVID was challenging for everyone. I know it was particularly the challenges for me were just being scared at work of getting sick myself and then like getting my family sick. I don't want to die. I'm not ready to die. And I just uh -huh. felt scared. Like my kids weren't in school. My daughter is a really anxious kid at baseline and COVID just really pushed her over the edge. So we had a lot of behavioral challenges with her. We had someone break into our house. Oh my God. Wow. Tornado come through our neighborhood like a week and a half before. It missed our house, missed our house by like three blocks. Um, so like this, our, their school was damaged. My mom got real, pretty much almost died. So she was really sick. And that was like in July of last year. So like right when we were still really scared. So I actually was flying to Boston thinking I was gonna see my mom for the last time. And I just knew I had a song in me. I just, it was like, how much more can a single person take? You know, like between co like the tornado, 
COVID, you know, kids being home. Now I'm like, I thought my mom was going to die. I just knew I had a song in me. And I started just, I took out my phone on the plane and just started writing. And I pretty much just like had the whole song in my phone. And then I got to my parents' house and it just all came out. So this one's called Winnebago. And for those of you who aren't seeing her, she's now pulling out the guitar that she had conveniently stashed under her desk. So go ahead. <laughs> Those lyrics are just, I mean, just yearning. I, I loved another place to go, one with a better disguise. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's an amazing line. Thank you. Um, wow. Yeah, I, that song and your story before it resonated very well. I think especially with folks that are uh, in Nashville, you know, we had the tornado last year. We had COVID shortly after. We had the bombing. Bombing, I know. Uh, I mean, it, you know, I personally, I lost my father-in-law from COVID, um, kind of in the heat of things, um, in addition to everything. So that song just like hits just right. 
on. Yeah. How, how much more can we all take here? I, by the time the bombing came, I was like almost numb, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we didn't have um, internet for two days. Yeah. And okay. so I was just like, oh, it's fine. It's just one yeah. more thing at this point. I know. I was like, oh yeah, of course there's a bombing now. So, and meanwhile, Allison's busy getting ready for a major surgery for her child. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's all of the trappings of tenure and papers and grants. So how did you guys get through all that? And, and, and the, the thing I guess I wonder about as the sort of token guy on the call here is, are we doing what we need to do to allow multiple careers to flourish? Because clearly each one of you is trying to do that. Talk, talk to me about, you know, what are, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? I will start since you and I have talked a little bit about this. And I think it's, you know, going remote for me has, has been helpful um, because you start to feel this, uh, I'll say a work-life balance, but I have a voice for one of my dogs uh, and I'm going to use it right now because it's the best way to say it. <laughs> but work-life balance is fucking bullshit. <laughs> um, it is not... It is not a real thing. Um, you know, you hear it a lot, especially like from HR groups and things like trying to help achieve that work-life balance. Um, but as a woman, especially in healthcare, like that's uh, impossible because it, either you're going to drop things with your kids, you're going to drop things with your job, or what I've learned um, for myself is you drop things for yourself, your own self-care. You, and as a woman, as a caretaker, I think we often put ourselves in the back seat sometimes even career-wise. Um, and, you know, we don't always recognize that until you hit that bottom burnout and then say, shit, I got to get this fixed. I, I laugh because I remember when COVID first started and all the kids were home and everybody was trying to figure out what to do. And somewhere on Facebook, someone published the schedule of like what to do with your children all day. Um, and I made my own version that started a few hours earlier because you had to wake up at like five o'clock in the morning to do your work for a few hours before you entertained and, you know, educated your kids all day. Um, and then once you got them to sleep, you had to work for like another four hours to finish your work. Um, I didn't actually do that. I think Vanderbilt was amazing. They gave us an extra year on our tenure clock, just acknowledging that this was a hard thing. And we were all juggling too many things to really focus on our career. For me, my family always has to come first because, you know, when I'm old and dying, I don't want to be like, glad that I got tenure, but you know, my, what did I sacrifice my kids and my husband because of it? Um, so I, I do try to do that first. Informatics and academia for me has been a lifesaver because it can be so flexible. As long as I have a computer for the most part, I can do my work anywhere. So um, I do a lot of work from the gym, watching my daughter, you know, practice every day. Um, I can answer emails from the clinic while my son's waiting for his appointment. And so that flexibility has been super, super helpful. I don't think I could have kept up with my kids and my family and my career in um, any other different discipline. I, well, I, I work half time. Um, my two weeks I'm working are completely inflexible. Um, but then the two weeks I'm not working are flexible. Um, I would say that Tommy Wang, who was chief of cardiology when I came, um, and incidentally, I came seven months pregnant, which also wasn't planned, but, and he still gave me my maternity leave. I think he was really forward-thinking and open-minded to give me, to let me do this schedule. I'm the only part-time person. It's partly that in the trans advanced heart failure and transplant world, we're all 
it's a group practice. So we all take care of the entire patient panel and all of our schedules are organized week by week. So we're either a week in the ICU, a week on the floor or a week in clinic. And so when I'm not there, there's another physician who knows them equally well who is in clinic. I think because of my specialty, it was easier to negotiate this job. But how do you balance? I mean, it's a moving target. I don't think balance exists. You need to just always be reassessing who needs your attention the most and give it to them and know that the other things are going to slide a little bit. In terms of my career goals, I'm sort of lucky in a sense that I don't have big academic goals. Um, I used to, and then I realized I just love music more. So I don't really want a corner office. I don't want to be chief of anything. I don't really need to be a national expert giving talks on whatever. I just want to take really, really good care of my patients. Um, and that's what I love. I think that's where my gifts are. So I say no to a lot of things at work. Like if someone asks me to write a review article on something, I'll say no, unless I really have to do it. I'm not on committees. I'm not, unless they make me do it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to come in. I'm going to take great care of my patients and then I'm going to go home. I've heard from colleagues who try to do anything part-time mm -hmm. in a high pressured environment like a Vanderbilt that while it might sound good on paper, either the patients or other people treat you as full-time and that means you're constantly pushing back. Has that been your experience? For me, because it's a group practice and because I, uh, there are other people who cover my patients when I'm not there, I think I have less of that. We have weekly meetings that I'm expected to be at if I'm able, but I don't have to be if I'm not able. Uh. I think I have internals it's become a lot easier with zoom because it's easier for me to come to log into the meetings from home than to come all the way into you know into vanderbilt but i feel bad i just i have my own demons every time i say no to something or don't go to the meeting i have to deal with my own voices of like they think i'm a slacker or you know that kind of thing but i just have to quiet those voices to know to remember that i'm I provide incredible value to our department with the clinical care I give. Everything's fine. Yeah, I think um, I've heard from colleagues, and I'm thinking of one in particular who is, she's 70, and she has a pretty specific specialty that doesn't have a lot of people going into that field. At 70, she wants to retire, which I think, oh, that's freaking reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> so she asked to go down to 80%. And she said, I said that knowing that I'll still be at 100% effort, you know, uh, as far as time goes, because there's no talk of replacing me or adding somebody to staff to accommodate that 20% that I want to take down. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, I do think there is that pressure. I think it, and I, and I can't help but to think, Kevin, um, you know, about your question and think that I feel very privileged in the position that I'm in, knowing that I'm a senior project manager, so I have that flexibility. I do not have the flexibility of um, a pediatric nurse or even um, a cafeteria worker or someone, um, you know, in resource management, things like that. So I know that I'm coming from a place of privilege as a white woman who has, you know, multiple degrees and able to get a job that has this flexibility. Many women do not or people do not. And so, you know, I can't imagine balancing trying to have a job in those areas of healthcare um, or careers where 
they don't have that level of flexibility at all. And the one thing I will say about COVID, at least I didn't have to worry about money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I had to worry about money on top of all of that, I don't know how I would have held it together. And I will say the other way that I quote unquote do it all is I have learned and I'm still learning. I just get help for all the things that I don't absolutely have to be doing. And I had like a major mental breakthrough just this month that um, instead of paying off my med school loans faster, I'm going to get a cleaning person to come and do my dishes every single day. And it like pains me to even say that, but I have an artist husband who doesn't see dishes. Like literally there could be a tornado outside that ripped half of our roof off and he's writing a song and wouldn't even notice it. He's not a jerk. He just, that's just not where his mind is. He's like a wonderful guy. And I just realized when I come home and the kitchen is a complete disaster and I have to make the choice every night. And I've been up since five in the morning making life and death decisions. And I have to decide, do I want to spend all of my free time cleaning the kitchen or do I want to spend a few minutes like hanging out with my kids and my husband? Allison's over here trying her best to, she's laughing forgiving you for feeling at all bad about the fact that you've decided somebody else could wash your dishes. So I don't think the inability to see dirty dishes is limited to artists. Okay. <laughs> one very amazing position that does also not see dishes. But yeah, we, we have someone who helps us clean every week, sometimes more than once. And it's, it's life-changing. Again, you know, like we're, we're privileged to be able to do that. Um, but it, it help it helps us do we're not doing it all and i think uh, you know um unless you see that sort of behind the scenes it looks like we're doing it but we yeah. i don't do it all yeah and and i would say that um you know as the as the token lesbian on this call uh it's not strictly to men either uh, my wife uh, <laughs> is, uh she has adhd and i love her same dearly, with my husband but... same with my husband i yes. think it's that yes i have so, so she's got ADHD. He's like a fly, so he'll get distracted by like 14 things before he empties just like the fork. Oh yeah, yeah. I um she has ADHD. Bradley also has ADHD. So um yesterday I'm like literally sitting there and they're both having completely different conversations with me. And all I can think of is I just want to go start the dishwasher real quick because we're doing dishes every day because we're all here all the time, oh, pandemic, yeah. you know. And so totally feel you. It took her an hour to do the laundry, but you know what? Like I was thrilled that she did that. And so I was so excited, but we did the same thing. I mean, we finally had to like say, okay, we need someone to at least help us. Like we have three dogs shedding everywhere. Someone has to turn the Roomba on and it's not going to be either of us three. Yeah. Yeah. So we feel that too. But again, it goes back to privilege. Like I, you know, certainly know people who couldn't have done that. And I think that there are times where us as women are expected to still do that and have that flexibility, um, but still also do the, do our job and everything. And I wonder if we have, if for you guys, like I find myself getting up instead of taking like a 10 minute mindfulness or something like that, or a walk, I'll get up and be like, this is my time to do the chores while I'm not working and feel that pressure as, you know, the, we're kind of both stay at home moms too to get those chores done in between work, which really we didn't have to do that in the office. That was like one of the upsides is we could ignore the dishes for at least eight hours. Yeah. 
I, no, I agree with that. Um, as much as it's been amazing to be able to continue working from home, um, I do feel like it, everything is like on all at the same time. You know, when we were going into the office, I could go into the office and do my work and then come home and be with my family. And now it's, you know, with Zoom, we can have meetings all of the time. Um, and so there, there's a lot of good and bad for both. And not just me, my husband is the same, you know, on the one hand, he doesn't have to stay late for six o'clock meetings anymore, but he still has to do those meetings. There is just at home from Zoom. And sometimes it's harder to have him home, but not present. And it's been really hard for my kids, especially um, being home with me, but me still working at the same time. And they don't understand, you know, why I have to do another meeting and I'm not paying attention to them. Um, and so, you know, keeping them in activities as much as I could find has, has been amazing for them. It's really important to kind of manage the way you think about that, though. If you have someone, because like you could think about it many different ways, and those thoughts can make you feel all different ways. In my case, my husband just isn't going to do a lot of housework. That's just a neutral circumstance about my husband. I love him for like a 10 trillion other reasons, you know, and I could have married a super uptight doctor who would do all the dishes and I'd be bored silly. So I chose him. <laughs> I love him. I want to be married to him forever, but he just doesn't do a lot of housework. So I have a choice. There's no pity party here. I can either do the housework because I want it clean and do it for myself. I'm not suffering for my whole family. My kids won't care if there are dishes. My husband won't care. He'll do them eventually. So I can either wait for him to do them or do them myself for me. But I think it's really important to skip the drama about all that too. Like there's no drama. You, you have a choice. Either do the dishes because you want to or go read a book and just skip the drama. And I think that really helps like with the, with the housework stuff. When I do it, I'm doing it for me and I'm doing it happily. You know, I'm a relatively two-career person only in that I also was a single dad for a while after our divorce. I'm now happily married. We have three kids, but they're all pretty much out of the house. And I can remember feeling a little frustrated when I came home kind of as the breadwinner and there was stuff that was house stuff that needed to get done. That was, that was how I found my joy is to not have that in my face. Like I needed it to be gone. Mm -hmm. I imagine that, you know, just to go to you, Susie, this is your moment to write. You've been, you've been driving home, tough day. You've got this thing in your head. It's a part of your own self-care to be able to write a song like Winnebago. And then you come home and there's this one foot pile of dishes from the day. Yeah. Talk to me about it. How does that feel? It's horrible. It makes me fight with my husband. It makes me feel like overwhelmed. It makes me feel like I have no control over anything in my life. Like, especially during COVID, I have no control at work. And like, I just have no space where I can have any peace in my house, but it's just housework. Like housework is neutral. Dishes are neutral. It's really your thoughts about them that cause your feelings. So I've just been really, it's like that cognitive behavioral model. And it's really powerful. You know, like our nanny left in the middle of COVID. So I've been doing like all the housework and all the, but we actually, we do have a house cleaner that cleans, but like the tidying day to day has been mostly me and I do all the laundry. And so here are my thoughts I'm choosing about the laundry, like, um, <laughs> I get to do it exactly the way I want now, you know, so you, now you I can just... do it exactly the way I want, you know, and I'll just put on a podcast or call my parents or, you know, and I just kind of like, I have this like mindful 
space out time to like fold laundry it's all clean and I fold it all neat and like you can you can make the best of it I just sort of gave up on a lot of the cleaning I like when people come to my house the first thing I tell them is just ignore the mess so this is just how it is um, if I have any friends who care that my house is messy we're not gonna be friends anymore right, right. It's, it's really that. funny. One of my friend's moms came over and I just told her the same thing. And I, I found out that she's been telling her friends how great it is that I just have a messy house and I don't care. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But, but imagine the opposite though, because I have. Can you imagine if your house was impeccably clean all the time with nothing out of place? Then I would definitely know that I was not having enough fun. Yeah. Right. That's like, would be so sad. Sarah, I have to ask you a question about this. So you were chatting with me, you know, I think maybe last week we were talking about something. And this, the idea that you've changed from the kind of go-to one career, can do it all, can cover for everybody else, to the person who now has something else in your life that's going to have to take priority. Did you, were you one of those people who said things to Susie and Allison, like, suck it up. It's your job. You've got to do it. Or were you, like, completely understanding of all the things that they had going on? Yeah, you know, um, I know what you're talking about. And I, I think it's that when I first got to Vanderbilt, and then I used to work, um, before I got to Vanderbilt, I worked in pathology for six years um, in quality management um, and then in product management. And um, in the commercial world, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, you're having to help make that bottom line. So even though I was in healthcare, we really were trying to get as many samples in so that we could help make money for our company. And so kids are not, you know, you had an expectation to work way more than the 40 hours. Um, so when I got to Vanderbilt, I kind of still felt that way, you know, and um, I started to sense that not everyone felt that way. Academia is a little bit slower paced, but I started to notice that single people felt this need to stay at work, um, you know, especially the women would stay um, later hours, um, you'd see their lights on, you know, in the wintertime as you're walking out of the building, you'd see the lights and you know, oh, that's, you know, female boss, female boss, and then the male boss would be, lights would be off. And so you felt this obligation like, oh, you know, I don't have a family to go home to, so I guess I need to stay a little bit later than everybody else. This year, uh, definitely changed that for me because now, um, you know, I'm in the other role where, you know, so when a colleague says, I'm going to be late to this meeting, my kids got a doctor's appointment. I'm like, hell yeah, don't even go to the meeting. It's fine. You know, get yourself some Starbucks afterwards, <laughs> take that break because, you know, you get them few and far between. And so there's just this different shift in your thinking of like, I've got to put family first. Like you said, like that is, uh, uh, Allison, this is a priority. So, you know, meetings or not, I want to schedule my family stuff first. And I see that difference um, now that I've had that life change for myself. And and the work will happen. Yeah. You know, I want to be, I love this job. I want to be at this job for a really long time. I have plenty of time, you know, I don't know. I just look at it all as a long haul. Do you all think that uh, the system that we have in healthcare to support scientists is accepting of or embracing or tolerant of or not accepting, embracing, and tolerant of people who have as many parts of their life that have to stay, you know, many plates that they're spinning. I could never do it as a full-time physician. Oh, say, explain that then. Oh, I could never do it. I mean, I couldn't do it. I feel like I would never see my kids. 
I would never see my, I mean, I left the house at 6.15 today and um, I'll probably get home, you know, six, you know, so I have like a couple hours with my kids at night. I mean, I would have some weekends, but that doesn't feel acceptable to me that much time with my kids if that that was my every week for me. I, I can't write a song when I get home from work. I'm like mentally, I don't have, I have no, I, I get, I mean, I think I, as I get older, I'm better at staying in touch with myself and kind of managing how hard my job is emotionally. But it takes me, when I've had two weeks on, it takes me a couple of days. Like if my husband will ask me how I am and I'll say, I have no idea. Because <laughs> you kind of have to separate yourself emotionally a little bit just to get through your day. And um, it takes me a couple of days to unwind and just kind of change headspaces to be able to get in touch with like my creative self. And that's why I chose the two week on, two week off schedule because it really gives me time to like switch headspaces. Allison, how about you? Um, I don't think it, it works as it is right now. I mean, you know, as someone who's been trying to get grants for, I don't know how long now, entirely too long. I mean, the amount of time it takes to put in a grant, you know, when I do have them do, I, I try to make that a priority and my husband really steps up and does a lot of the things with the kids and around the house that I normally have the flexibility to do. Um, but, you know, you have to put in so many grants or just get so lucky to get one funded. And I just don't have the bandwidth to do that, like some of my other colleagues who um, don't have kids or, you know, a spouse or anything else to do besides write grants all the time. I, I can't work, you know, 12 hours a day and weekends and holidays and, and do that. And it's taken me a long time, but I think I'm okay with that. Um, I may never get tenure. I may never get an R01, but, uh, you know, at least I stayed mostly sane and <laughs> trying yeah. to spend time with my family. Sarah, what do you think? Oh, hell no. Um, uh, healthcare in America, um, and this, especially the system for being a woman working in healthcare, there are so many times we don't get a chance to put our families first um, because we want to keep up with our colleagues. And healthcare is still part of a for-profit system, even if Vanderbilt itself is a not-for-profit. Yesterday, uh, I happened to tweet about how trying to find mental health care services in America is this big load of bullshit because, um, and I like that I'm the only one cussing today. I love that you're cussing. It out there. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to get as many words in to just like, you know, keep the tabs up. Um, but, uh, you know, just to, we've been paying out of pocket um, for uh, therapy for our son because he needs weekly therapy. He has a lot of trauma. And so that means there's about $1,000 a month going just to therapy sessions. And he's got 10 care. He's got Medicaid um, for him to be able to get those sessions. But we can't find a therapist who will actually even take insurance. And I understand why they won't. It is so hard to get reimbursed. Yeah. But what is one of the biggest needs, especially post-COVID? Mental health services. Definitely. And they're chock full. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yesterday I spent a lot of my day actually on the phone trying to find him good mental health services for a good therapist that will help him because I've been trying to find something that will accommodate his schedule with his needs. And it's almost impossible. So we were on you know, 
waiting list for like months for my daughter for her anxiety. Yeah, he's, you know, he, along with his ADHD, um, so he's got a psychiatrist for that, um, but she only does the medication management just for that. So every three months we see her for about five minutes and she says, looks like Vyvanse is working great. Um, she doesn't touch any of the other things. And so to get a weekly therapist um, to be able to see him and talk to him or do any more um, is like, you know, an act of God at this point. Um, and there's tons of therapists in the Nashville area. It's just that they all want out of pocket. They don't take insurance because it's too, of a, too much of a hassle for them. And insurance companies don't reimburse them anywhere near what they probably should be owed for their services. Now, I feel incredibly, well, more fortunate. My, my daughter is also seeing a therapist. We started that um, early-ish in COVID, but yet we're paying out of pocket dearly for it. It's made a world of difference. It's been a lifesaver, but um, we're paying. <laughs> Same, we're paying out of pocket. Yeah, and you know, I think like his, his therapist that we have been seeing um, is a woman. And, you know, I think about like how she's had to deal with, you know, moving to telehealth um, and doing those visits and everything. And, you know, how she was probably trying to do exactly what we've all been doing is accommodate her job with her kids schedule, um, you know, and trying to do all of a sudden her job remotely and still be able to make a living. Um, it's, it's just not a sustainable system that we've got in America. And as I have been watching how with the Delta variant, but also COVID and the vaccination status, you're starting to see companies push people to go back into the office. And I think we're at that fundamental crossroads where we have to make decisions on how we want work-life balance to be, even though I think that term is bullshit. We, we've got to decide how we want things to be because healthcare in a general, but also our labor system is not working how it has been working because we're all burnt out. And I think COVID showed us all that, yeah. you know, how many of us like enjoy a nice little 2 p.m. siesta every once in a while that you can't really get on the 15th floor of a office building. I mean, I did find a place for it, but it's not as nice as my bed. <laughs> We started happy hours in our neighborhood um, during COVID for a long time. Thursdays, we did driveway happy hours at four o'clock or something. Yeah. Uh, it's That's it's a lot harder to do when people are actually going into the office, but it was a lifesaver. We, you know, I mean, best friends with our neighbors now and, you know, we knew them all before, but not like we do now. And all the kids ran around outside playing hide and seek in the front yards. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Susie, you have a new boss. Um, did it take any convincing to help your new boss recognize the, that what you needed as a human being to be a successful cardiologist and songwriter, or did you just have to insist? Um, well, I negotiated my contract when I first came to Vanderbilt. So that was like seven and a half years ago. So my con I didn't really have to renegotiate it with the new boss. Is that what you were asking? Yeah, so the new boss was fine with your existing contract. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, she was fine. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm like, it's like, I forget how they, I'm full time with partial effort or something. Yeah, that's what I it is. Doing, um, I end up doing like two thirds to three quarters of the clinical time of full time people, even though I'm half time. There it is. Yeah, the is that um, there's that bullshit. Now yeah, I got to say it, Sarah. It's not though. I think it actually works in my favor um, because we're partly RVU. Our our salaries are RVU based. What's an RVU? Yep. 
like a revenue value unit or it basically is like how productive you are, how many patients you see, how much revenue do you generate for the hospital? Um, and it's based on how many patients you see, how many echoes I read, that kind of thing. Um, so you get and, paid more if you do more RVUs? Mm -hmm. So for my colleagues, like literally nobody could have clinical work every single week. You just cannot mentally or physically do that. It's too hard. So every physician, full-time physician colleague has some administrative weeks where they're not assigned to, to either the ICU, the floor, or to do all of our transplant clinics. They may have a half a day of clinic or something, but the rest of the time they have to catch up on paperwork, um, read, write papers, like whatever they do, they have these administrative weeks in, in their schedule. And I don't have those administrative weeks. Anytime I'm at work, I'm working. I'm seeing, I'm seeing patients, but I want that. Okay, so I, let, let me tell you why I bring that up. So Sarah and Allison are both in my department. So here's the part where I bear my, I air my dirty laundry and let them trample all over me, okay? So I've been a big proponent of returning to work because I think it helps our educational program. I think it helps our creativity. But I also listen to this and I feel like, what, what is the privilege that I am bringing in? What are the biases that I'm bringing in that you guys would tell me, you need to be thinking about this, Mr. I don't have to do everything at the house and take care of the kids um, so that the rest of us can have a little bit more sanity than what you may be otherwise proposing, sanity that perhaps we discovered during COVID and now you're telling us to take it away. So what, what, what should I have learned from you going forward? I, I'm also a big proponent of going back to work. I think, you know, I was in the office for a long time, as, as long as I could be, um, until I had to be home with my son, you know, right before and after surgery, he can't go to any kind of child care. Right. Um, and so I appreciate that I've been able to work from home, but my preference is to be in the office. I feel like I do better work there. I like seeing other humans and, you know, um, intelligent adults that I can have um, stimulating conversations with. I think we work better together when we can, you know, sit in a conference room and talk about something instead of sending, you know, Teams messages or trying to find them on a Zoom call. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to being back in the office, mostly full time, but you know, there I said, mostly, um, and I just hope that we have the option when necessary to work at home, um, which we sort of did before. Cause I, I did this occasionally before COVID, um, you know, if my kid was sick or if we had someone to coming to repair the refrigerator, um, I worked from home, but it wasn't you know, like it is now. So yeah. my, my hope moving forward was that, you know, most of us come back, but we have the flexibility to work from home when necessary. If you had asked me this prior to November, I would have said, I don't want to go back into the office at all. Um, I am one that I love, you know, maybe not always having to wake up at the exact same time, getting my work done, um, you know, and then maybe sometimes staying up later and doing it that way. I love that flexibility. You know, now I, with, you know, my wife being stay at home and then my kid, you know, out for summer, I do actually go into the office once, maybe a week, um, maybe sometimes two times. Um, and so I like having that way to get, a, to get away from home, break up the monotony, you know, just like go ahead and have a break from that. 
I think the big thing is flexibility and transparency. I, you know, let us decide if we want to do one or the other or have a hybrid model. Um, you know, let us decide as human beings. Um, when you take flexibility away from people or tell them they have to do it this way, um, they have to dress certain ways or they have to have these certain hours, it just gets, um, it breaks up that trust from the employer to employee, I think. One of the big things that really aggravated me about my old job was they were like, you have to be here at 8 a.m. And they were all about like, you know, getting all these different warnings and stuff. And sure, I can be here at 8 a.m., but I'm not going to like it because I'm not a morning person. I need at least three cups of coffee. Um, if you like it, you're not going to, you're going to be resentful and you're not going to do as good work. Yeah. And also I found myself, you know, as much as I love my job, there are times where I can get everything on my to-do list done and you want to just have me sit there and twiddle my thumbs till 4.30 because that's when you want me in the office. No, be that kind of boss where like you just say, get your shit done and be done with it. Don't sit here and twiddle your thumbs forever because I could be going home early doing the dishes or get cutting the grass or whatever and not just wasting my time because you want to make sure you're controlling the number of hours I'm working. Then I'm just going to do the bare minimum. And I find that I'm more efficient when I, you know, don't have to take a certain amount of time. You know, if I can you know, go do something I enjoy after I finish my whatever I need to finish. I'm going to do it fast and yeah. probably just as good. Yeah, I, I fully uh, expect my termination letter after this <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> Kevin's like, uh-uh, not, no more. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm really, I'm trying to be really PC. There've been all kinds of opportunities for me to make all sorts of jokes. Like, you know, you have to get home and work on that canoe that's in your living room, but yeah, I haven't said cool. any of yeah. those. No, no, no. <laughs> So Susie, you're listening to all this and you're smiling and, and what are you thinking? This is just really fun. I'm so grateful to have done this. I like going into this week, I was a little overwhelmed because we had a tough week with my daughter last week with anxiety and failed camp attempt and trying to piece together oh, no. childcare. And this is the first week of basically three in a row with two days off for me because um, of a scheduling thing. And um, so there goes that I two weeks on to It just felt like an overwhelming week at, when I thought about it all, you know, but in the moment, it's all good. And I'm so glad I said yes to this and got to spend an hour with you guys. Well, thank you. So by the way, how much national attention have you gotten from the songs you wrote around COVID? Well, I haven't released them yet, so to be oh. determined. I, I did, well, one song called Another New Normal I is one of the COVID era songs that I wrote. And Which we're going to play on the next episode. Oh, cool. Okay. In February, I guess soon after I had released it or about around the time I was planning on release it, releasing it, I was featured on CBS This Morning. Wow, jeez. Uh, so I got to play it live on that television show. Um, so that was cool. Now, awesome. I assume, I mean, obviously you're selling music, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're gonna eventually, I can't imagine how you're going to embrace the opportunity that these songs are going to give you to, to tour with the schedule you have as a cardiologist. So how, how do you, how are you going to do that? I mean, I'm not going to tour that much, even though I want to, because my kids are in school um, and they're more important to me. I'm not going to leave them. So um, that's just the way it is. I'll be less successful as a musician because of that. Um, less successful, if that's how you define success. Mm-hmm. 
That was um, air quotes, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So you sacrifice both of your careers for your family. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 100%. And it does it frustrate me? Definitely. Would I do it again? Definitely. I mean, like my family is like numbers one through 10 on my priority list. I'm super, super clear on that. But, you know, the cost is, you know, <laughs> I joke, you know, I, I'm a, this is my seventh studio album. Um, and I'll release Jeez. it to like, you know, the 150 people who care. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's not why I do it. Um, I try and just focus on being an artist and, like, the joy I get in writing songs and making albums. And, you know, I have, I have like, a loyal, a small, relatively speaking, but, like, very loyal fan base who I just love interacting with over my music. And um, I'm just going to do what I can when I can. When my kids are older, I'll tour more. But so how, how are you affording studio time? Because um, I'm a cardiologist. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> um, that, I mean, I'm a half-time cardiologist, but I drive a 2008 Toyota Prius. I don't really go on vacation. I don't buy a lot of, I'm, I'm really frugal. Like that's, I'm, you know, and I did fan, I fan funded my last album. I raised $17,000. Um, for my last album. This album I did at my producer's house um, because it was COVID and we weren't going to be doing the studio thing. Um, and I had been vaccinated and he had had COVID. So it was kind of like a safe thing. So it was just the two of us in his home studio. And then we sent out, we did do one day in, for drums in a, in a real studio, but we just sent the tracks electronically to other musicians for them to put instruments on it and I did all the background me and him did all the background vocals so we kind of pieced it together that way thanks to all our guests today that was a conversation that was admittedly a lot of first world problems to say the least but it's an honest challenge we have in science and I was glad to get candid opinions from some highly talented members of the club thanks also Dr. Susie for giving us a glimpse into the world of the professional two-career wife and mother and for sharing one of your new songs with us. This is Kevin Johnson at KB Johnson MD signing off. Have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Hashtag science. I'm living it. Anywhere else instead.